says, I'm of the nation of Israel. Uh, there would have been those who were proselytes, that is, those who were not born Jews, but they wanted to serve uh, the God of Israel, and so uh, they came and they worshipped as far as they were able. Uh, Paul was not like that. He was, he was born within. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin, you, you may know that uh, uh, the New Testament uh, interacts with Samaritans a lot, uh, as an example. They were people who the Jews did not like because they had mixed uh, with others. So they had Jewish heritage, but they had also intermarried and, and had other practices. Uh, Paul has his, his lineage straight down from one of the original 12 sons of Jacob. He knows his tribe. He, he hasn't been mixed with anyone else. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so even with all this family heritage, perhaps some Jewish families, would, they would go out and they would mix with other cultures. They would take up practices that others practice. Paul says, I wasn't doing any of that. As Jewish as you could be, as Hebrew as you could be, everything about that was a part of my life. And so that's, that's what he has sort of by birth and growing up. But then he says, there was also my own decisions and actions to contribute to my good standing before God. As to the law, a Pharisee says, I was seeking to obey every word that God had commanded. I was seeking to do everything just the way that we were told to do. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Uh, before he was uh, converted, he would have seen the church as Jews who were trying to subvert obedience to uh, the Old Testament, obedience to God's commands, and he would not tolerate any disobedience. Uh, there, there was no room among God's people for any who would go off another way, who would follow some other God. And so he was, he was eager for this. He was ready to persecute the church. And then the, the crowning statement of it all as to the righteousness which is found in the law, I was found blameless. Now, don't hear him saying, I never sinned up to this point. Because you have to understand that in the context, they would have, he would have had the sacrifices. He would have had the atonement for sin. All the, all the means that God had provided to bring his people close to him. He's saying, if you had looked at my life and you had tried to point out that place where I was not following God actively, you couldn't have done it. You, you could not have found it. You could not have said, but what about this law? What about that law? He says, I was obeying all of them. I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. The problem with this legalism that Paul had then is not on the outside. Uh, just to be clear, uh, following the law is not legalism. Doing the right thing is not legalism. The problem is in his heart. And he's showing us here not just what was going on in the outside, but what was going on in his heart. He was, if I can say it this way, he was making himself holy. Uh, holy means set apart from other things to be devoted to God. You see how Paul is setting himself apart from everything to show his pure devotion to God? And how his heart had grabbed onto this, how he was born into the right group, he was doing the right things, uh, he was doing everything just the way he should. And as we start to think about Paul's heart, then we can start to think about ourselves. 
me ask you a question. Do you think you're special? Of course, everybody's special in one sense, but do you think that when there's, there's people out there, or, or maybe it's not even out there, but it's some of the people in here that just they're just not quite as close to God as you are. They don't have the same background. They, you know, they didn't... They didn't have the same benefits of growing up the way that you did and understanding the Bible the way that you did. Or, or maybe it's they've just made some poor choices and, and they haven't followed God in their life like you followed God in your life. Have you ever been tempted to think that way? That's the heart of a legalist. Setting yourself apart, making yourself holy, uh, making yourself someone who has, has, has unique standards and rules that, that lift you up above other people. And, and as we start thinking about that heart, it, it, it becomes easier to understand how to test yourself. Because, because being very special is really quite burdensome, isn't it? Think about all the people that you have to put up with when you're better than them. You know, think, think about uh, all those people. Do you ever get tired of, of those Christians who just don't follow through? You know, you invite them to Bible study and you, you try to do all these things with them and you want them to pray and, and they're just not quite measuring up. What a burden, right? And I hope you're starting to realize this, this legalism isn't so far away from our own hearts. As, as we live with one another. Have you ever been frustrated by, by all the things you're not allowed to do because you're such a great person? You know, I, I follow God's law so carefully that my life is just boring because I, I can't do all of those other things that everybody else who doesn't have a conscience like me, they can do them, but, but I'm, I'm stuck here being so wonderful. Have you ever complained? so hard to be a Christian. Have you, have you ever had that resentment in your heart? All of this is legalism. All, all of this is taking God's law and not using it simply as a guide of what's right and joyfully doing the right thing, but taking God's law and using it as a wedge between ourselves and other people as we're trying to get closer to God. And as we're comparing ourselves to others in that way. This is what the life of a legalist looks like. Well, as Paul gives us his own autobiography of his time as a legalist, he also shows us how he escaped from that. And in doing so, he's going to teach all of us how we also can escape. And, and the basic idea of what he invites us to do is to recount our accounts before God. Uh, he wants us to do accounting exercise. He says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So he's giving us a, a financial image. You, you know, the ideas of gain and loss. Uh, you can think of uh, a balance sheet in a bank account. We talk about you know being in the black or being in the red. And what Paul is saying is that if, if you go through this list, when he looked at it before, his, his circumcision, his Hebrew, Hebrew, all of those things, 
He said, I saw those things in my bank accounts as, as in the black. Those were positive. Those, those were lifting me up closer to God. Now, there may have been other things in the red. I, had, I, I went and I repented of those and I offered sacrifices. But he says, now I'm taking all of those things which were so useful and beneficial to me in my mind and I'm coloring them in a different color. They're now red. So I'm taking that, that reliance I had on being circumcised and I'm saying, that's a loss. I'm going to color that red. I'm going to say, that is not getting me anywhere closer to God. I'm going to take all that, that work I did in trying to obey God. I'm going to color it in red. I'm going to count it a different way. So that you, you can see what this will do to his life. As, as, as you look back over your life and you have some things that were good and some things that were not so good and, and maybe you're hoping it will balance enough in the end so that God will accept you, Paul's saying, I'm taking my whole life and I'm counting everything as a loss. Everything puts me further in debt. Everything is useless to bring me close to God. As you, as you think about yourself in your life, uh, start asking yourself the question, what should I be counting right now? How, how have I been counting in my life, and what do I need to recount? What do I need to reconsider? As, as he goes on and develops this, we, we can see it in two senses. First of all, I think Paul is wanting us to think in a bit of a legal sense, as he's counting his account before God. How much do, does he owe God for the sins that he has committed? What's, what is the payment that is due? And Paul is saying that as I start to count, and I, as I look at my legal standing before God and the debt that I owe, all, all of a sudden it's, it's becoming astronomical. It's becoming hopeless. On, on, on the one hand, I think he's recognizing I was far too impressed with myself. Uh, and many of us need to think about that. How, how impressive do I think I am? He's, he's becoming more humble in that sense. So on the other hand, he's recognizing he was not impressed enough with his sin. He, he was not taking sin seriously. He was not realizing just how deep it goes into the hearts. And this is the same man that wrote a verse that, that many of us uh, start with as we think about what the gospel is, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's, that's how we need to count. That I, that I am one of those, everyone, who has sinned. And I'm not impressive enough to get up to God's glory. Uh, in fact, I have a whole lot that's pulling me away. And as I look at my life, instead of thinking, well, I'm a little bit glorious, I'm, I'm close to the glory of God, and think, no, I've fallen far short. I don't measure up. I don't, I don't make it there. You know, there's a, a danger with this kind of thinking. That's something we really try to avoid, and that's that you, you might start feeling guilty. Nobody wants to feel guilty, right? Uh, no, nobody wants to live with this overwhelming sense that I'm a terrible person. And so, so we have all these tricks to try to get rid of guilt. Uh, there's, really, there's really three things you can try to do with, if you have guilt. You can, you can try to start, start at the beginning and just never make mistakes. Most of us still aren't there. You can try to make up for it. Um, you know, if you have a debt, well, I'm going to pay it back. Or you can receive forgiveness. 
If you have a debt, somebody says, you don't have to pay. That's forgiveness. That's where Paul is driving us when he says, I count this loss for the sake of Christ. He recognizes that in Jesus Christ, there is a forgiveness for all of this debt. That, that all that Christ has done is positive before God. Christ actually is impressive. Jesus' life actually was righteous. From the heart to the actions. And he's saying, I recognize that there's, there's this exchange that Jesus Christ has offered me. All of that perfect life I thought I had, Jesus says, I have the true perfect life. If you'll just take that life that you were so impressed by, and you'll recognize all of it as debt, all of it as, as sinful as not enough to impress and please God on your own, then Jesus says, I'll forgive all of it as you come to me. And that's what Paul is teaching us to do. That's, that's the message of grace. That for all the struggle that we have with right and wrong and with our consciences and with guilt, if we're willing to just say, let me take all of that and give it to Christ and let Him deal with it, then we'll be saved. And we'll be freed from all of that. And so He wants us to think in that, that sort of legal sense about our sin. But there's a second way that He wants us to think about our sin, and that comes especially in verse 8. You'll, you'll hear a repetitiveness, but this is slightly different. He says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. What Paul is counting here is not just legal. It's not just the debt that I owe and the need for forgiveness and the guilt. It is all of that, but he says it's also a value reckoning. He says, I'm counting this loss in view of the surpassing value of Jesus Christ compared to what's on the other side, the rubbish, uh, the trash. Uh, some some would translate it the dung. Uh, the the point here with this word, whatever the precise meaning is, is that that it smells bad. And and that's how Paul wants you to think about those good works that you wanted to impress God with. He wants them to smell bad to you. He, he wants he wants as uh, we we know Romans three twenty three all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another well-known verse about sin is in Isaiah 64, 6. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's not just that this isn't useful currency before God. It's that I don't want to touch it. That's gross. It smells bad. I don't want to get close to it. And I think this is especially important for us if we've heard uh, this this, uh, explanation, which I hope many of you have, about our legal standing before God and the exchange that Christ gives us to to recognize that uh, it's not just all the legal things. We, we, we love to use in, in sort of Reformed churches think words like double imputation and substitutionary atonement. I love all those words. I like the big words. But, but this is something a little different. This is not, have I figured out the legal things? This is, what do I appreciate? What, what do I appreciate? What smells good to me and what smells bad to me? I think sometimes our ability to use big words can smell good to us. Uh, 
uh, isn't it wonderful the way those words just roll off the tongue as we explain the gospel? Aren't I great? Paul doesn't want any part of that. Paul says, are all my ability to do that, he could have done it better than any of us here. He says, not just I count it a loss, but I count it rubbish. The fact that I acted that way and lifted myself up that way and had that heart, that disturbs me. That, that gets a reaction out of me that I, I don't like that about myself because it's gross. What, what smells good to you? Does your faithfulness and church attendance or church activities smell good to you? Does the way that you live your life smell good to you? Paul is saying, I took all of those things. And not only did I say, objectively, they aren't going to get me to heaven. But I said, in my heart and in, in my instincts and the way that I live, I don't like those things as bringing me close to Jesus Christ. What smells good to Paul? What's right here? Jesus. That's everything for him. What is valuable? He says, he says the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. The, the only thing that, that drives me, what makes me tick now, Paul says, is that I just really can't get enough of Jesus. I just want to be closer to him. That's, that's a privilege for me. That's what drives me forward, is I just want more of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I hope you don't hear me as I'm saying all of these things, saying that uh, you, you shouldn't care about how you conduct your life or any of those things. But, but in all of those things, Paul said, instead of saying I care about it for its own sake, I'm doing that. I go to church. I read my Bible. I have quiet time. I, I attend prayer meeting. Whatever it is I do, I do it because I just want to be close to Jesus. That's all I care about now. He said, that is where surpassing value is, just knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And everything else, I, I'm not going to use it legally to try to get before God, and I don't even want to be close to it. That, that whole attitude is worthless to me. It's rubbish. And then he goes on in verse 9, he gives us uh, one of the, the simplest and clearest statements of, our, of the good news of God's grace. He says, I want to gain Jesus Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He wants to be found in him. In Jesus Christ. You, whenever you lose something or get rid of something, it's, if you don't fill it with something else, uh, then there's a vacuum and, and probably bad things will happen. It's, a, it's really hard to stop doing the wrong thing if you don't start doing the right thing or something else. Uh, but Paul's saying it's just a little bit different when you become a Christian. Because you lose something, you're actively trying to do that. But instead of going and finding something, you have this sense that I've been found by someone. Yes, there's an effort to know Christ, but he says, first of all, really what's happening is I'm, I'm realizing that Jesus came for me, that, that Jesus took the first step. I needed to lose all of this, and then I needed to be found. I needed to, to look up and realize Jesus is right here, and he loves me, and he wants to save me. And that's, that's the heart of grace, the heart of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came and found us. And so he says, I don't have a righteousness of my own 
derived from the law. I'm not going to look at any of those good works that I did and say, this is able to get me close to God. I'm, I'm letting all of that go. And he sa- instead he says, I have that righteousness, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, I think sometimes it, it can be hard to think about faith because faith feels like another good work. Am I believing hard enough to get to heaven? Uh, but I, I love the definition of faith, that, that faith is a rest. Uh, faith is not getting up and going to get something. It's, it's, it's sitting down and resting, being found in Jesus Christ. And that's what he is describing. It's not, not that I'm believing hard enough, but, but I'm, I'm stopping my effort towards salvation, and I'm, I'm resting in Jesus Christ. And his righteousness, all the good that he has done, that is what will get me to heaven. And then he he clarifies even further. He says, this is the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And so we see the the source of all the goodness, the source of all the righteousness is God himself. Faith is the channel, it's the means that he's using to to connect us to him. It's it's how we are united to Jesus Christ. We rest in him. But all, all the work and all the glory of what saves us, that goes to God. So as, as we hear this, we, we need to step back again and think about that word. Are, are you a legalist? Probably not 100%. Maybe you haven't committed yourself fully, but I hope that you've seen that that legalistic instinct is in all of our hearts when we compare ourselves to others, when we want to see ourselves as more impressive before God, when we, when we feel pretty good and are, are basically pleased with the way that we live our lives and we don't connect that at all to Jesus Christ and what He is doing for us. Or if you are looking at your own heart and finding some legalism in there, I have good news. God saves legalists. Isn't, isn't that what Paul is telling us here? Even if you take it to the worst extreme uh, and you have completely messed this up, didn't God save Paul? And isn't he ready to save you, to show you his grace? I, I want to read Paul's testimony, Paul's story one more time, but I'm not going to read it from Philippians. I'm going to read it from First Timothy. Because in 1 Timothy, Paul shares his stories from from the other side, from from the perspective of grace. I'll start at verse 12. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. Paul writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, why why was I a candidate for God's mercy? Because I was a sinner. Because, Because that was true of me. God could look down and say, I'm going to give my grace to this person. With everything that was wrong with me, Paul says, God was able to consider me faithful. God was able to look at me through Jesus Christ and say, this one belongs to me and I love him and I'm saving him. 
And so Paul goes on and he says, The grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And may our hearts say the same thing with the Apostle Paul. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for grace. Every time that we go into our own hearts and look around honestly, we see more and more sin. More and more uh, in the past that was not dealt with, more and more in the present that needs to be dealt with, and, and so much potential for the future to do things wrong and to displease you. And yet even knowing all of that, we come to you. And we come to you boldly. And we come to you with a full expectation that the grace of our Lord is more than abundant. That Jesus Christ is ready to save. Lord, I pray for each one here. Uh, there is someone who is searching his or her heart's and recognizing new sin. That that recognition of sin would not lead to a, a time of guilt and shame, but rather would move quickly toward a time of forgiveness and renewal and hope through Jesus Christ. I pray that you would be close to us, that we would be found in you, not far away from you, but that we would be close to you, our Savior. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen.